This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome in to the Sooner Sports Podcast. This is the tailgate we get you ready for Oklahoma and West Virginia on Saturday night. We will hear from Charleston Gazette writer Mike Kazaza to get you ready not only for what we can expect from the West Virginia Mountaineers, but also what can we expect from the weather. There's reports of potential snow on Saturday night in Morgantown. Yes, you heard that right. Snow, 90% chance of precipitation. So Mike Kazaza is coming up here in just a bit. Plus, we had great conversations this week with three student athletes. You'll hear from Orlando Brown Jr., Dee Westbrook, and Jordan Evans. Jordan Evans coming off history for Oklahoma in doing something against Baylor that has never been done before in the history of Oklahoma football, which seems kind of wild, but... We've never had a player get two interceptions and two sacks in the same game until Jordan Evans did it on Saturday morning against Baylor. 7 o'clock with the kick, 5 o'clock with the pregame show on the OU Radio Network. Make sure that you have downloaded the TuneIn Radio app. So if you're out of reach of an Oklahoma Sooner Radio Network affiliate, then you can always find us on the TuneIn Radio app. Hey, real quick, before we get going with football and counting down to everything that's going on in the world of uh, Sooner football, let's get you caught up on what's going on around campus here real quick, shall we? It's been a nice start for Sherry Cole's women's basketball team as they take care of business, getting a W uh, as we record this last night over Arkansas Little Rock. More free throw coming from Ron Janata Gray. She missed that one as well, and Maddie Manning the rebound. Two big misses there as we go under six minutes to play. Manning left side, she's going to go all the way to the basket, miss the layup, rebounded though, and put up and in by EJ. Oh, Dimway comes through in the clutch. She's got four. Oklahoma takes care of business as they knock off Arkansas Little Rock 68-58. to Peyton Little led the way with 17 points, 15 of those coming in the first half. Sherry Cole's team will take on BYU on Saturday afternoon at 5. Tough one for the women's volleyball team as they lost to Kansas State. Santiago Restrepo's crew will wrap up their home schedule with Baylor on Saturday night before traveling to Iowa State to wrap up what's been a, a, a rough season for a very young team who has an incredibly bright future as we say goodbye to Madison Ward, Michaela Spann, and Kimmy Gardner, three of the seniors for OU Volleyball Wrestling. Lou Roselli's team gets things underway this weekend. We have our first home meet for the men's wrestling team coming up. The conference opener is on Sunday as they take on North Dakota State. The regular season opener at home on Friday against Michigan. And kind of hard to talk men's basketball right now because as we tape this, the Sooners will play this evening. They'll take on Tulane, Oklahoma, playing in the Tire Pros Invitational. They'll play Thursday, Friday, and then potentially again on Sunday. Kind of the same for soccer as Matt Potter's women's soccer team is in action in South Carolina playing in the NCAA tournament, their second-round opponent, BYU. We'll hear from Matt Potter a little bit later on in the podcast, but again, 
depending on when you consume this. And as we're taping this, that match is just about ready to get underway. So that's a look at what's going on around campus as we count down to Oklahoma and West Virginia. Looking right. Here's he throw. Balls out. Rolling around. Scooped up at the 30 to the 25. Jordan Evans to the 10 to the 5. Chopped down. Is he in? He's in. Touchdown, Suitors. Last year, Oklahoma knocked off West Virginia by a final score of 44 to 24. The Sooners' fourth win in four tries against West Virginia since joining the Big 12. I look back to last year because that was obviously an incredible play by Jordan Evans. But the Sooners' defense has stood on its head the last few times Oklahoma has matched up with West Virginia. A combined 10 sacks and five interceptions in the last two games. We talked with Sooner standout defender Jordan Evans to get his perspective on not just the win over Baylor, but preparing for West Virginia. Congratulations, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. What's that mean to you? Uh, it just means a lot because I know, I mean, not for my own accolades, but it's because I did something right for the team and helped my team come out with a win on Saturday. So that's what it means to me. Last three weeks, the defense has really played well in three different styles. You know, Kansas still developing. Iowa State has the potential to pound it out, but then Baylor wide open. Uh, it really seems like this defense is coming of age. Is that fair? Yes, yeah, fair. Um, I mean, that's what we've been planning on doing. That's what we should have been doing a long time ago. And you know, some things had happened that kind of got our minds on and got our attentions. And so I think each and every week, guys are just trying to get better at their at their craft, and that's what's making our team, our defense, play better. And you talked about it in the post game, and you've talked about it a lot, but practice. Has there been a better focus? What's changed? Uh, just, yeah, I would say focus, um, intensity, and a lot of guys I feel like think a lot of things, at least early on in the year, that just come our way because we're supposed to be like a good defense like we were last year. And, you know, we kind of got away from the work mentality of it, and we got back to it, and it's been paying off. You guys played smart on Saturday. You didn't get drawn into anything. Uh, how much of that comes from setting a tone in practice, Jordan? Oh, that also comes just in the film room. You know, you got to be, you know, um, very focused on your keys while you're out there, knowing your job and not having mental errors and mental busts. Because especially with a team like Baylor, if you have one mental bust, that's seven points. And you know, it starts in the film room and then transitional practice and making sure we're doing everything right. And it came out to on, on Saturday and, and it worked out for us. Did you get much grief for not getting in the end zone there? Or was it more of you making a near touchdown that stood out in your mind? Nah, I wanted to get in the end zone. It made me <laughs> mad. Um, you know, my dad made fun of me for getting tackled by, like, one-yard line guys. But at the same time, you know, Samaje ran in next play, so it's still seven points. But, you know, I always want to get in the end zone. It feels good. You know, it really seemed like that it, it took a little bit for the energy in the stadium. You guys brought the energy. You know, sometimes the fans can get people up, but did you guys kind of get the sense after the touchdown already by the offense and then you get a uh, couple of quick three and outs? It really seemed like you guys energized the crowd on Saturday. Yeah, I, uh, energy was, was great this weekend, and especially with a lot of guys that don't play on the sidelines just congratulating us and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, I felt like if you didn't have energy for Baylor, you shouldn't be out there anyways. All right, let's talk about some of the other guys that have stood up and stood out. And Emmanuel Beal is a guy we ask you about quite a bit, and we see him get better, I feel like, every time he steps on the field. Oh, yeah, Emmanuel came in not playing an instant linebacker, so it's been a lot of changes and transitioning for him. But he's been doing a great job, filled in, uh, fills, fills, filled in the role for Tay Evans uh, very well, and you know I think he has a bright future. And uh, had never played outside or inside before, always outside. Kind of, you, you had had that same thing too, right? Yeah, the same as me, and I feel like that's kind of why – I felt like I took it on my shoulders to try to help him out and teach him more because I knew exactly what he was going through. It's, you know, it's still linebacker at the end of the day, but there is a difference. And speaking of still linebacker, Caleb Kelly almost seems like he's adopted you as his big brother. What have you seen from him that's uh, kind of led to him not only seeing more time but having success? Yeah, I, um, 
felt like he was being patient. Um, you know, he's he likes to learn. He likes to understand. He gets taught very well. And so throughout, you know, summer camp and then these past couple of weeks throughout the season, he's been doing that. And whenever his number's been called, he's been making the most out of it. And I think he's enjoying it. You feel good about where this team is right now? Uh, I feel like we can be better. But, you know, I can't be upset with a, with a loss. So I'm, I'm happy. I just want to get better and keep going. Baker's got it. He will fake the handoff this time. Wants to throw. Does. Looking for Didi. Caught at the 10. And he's to the 5. Keeps his feet into the end zone. Did he go out? Oh, it's a touchdown! What a remarkable tear, if you will, that Didi Westbrook has been on. In the last seven games, 51 receptions, 1,100 yards, and 14 touchdown catches. Keep in mind, he's also returned a punt 71 yards for his score. The 1,100 yards are the most ever by a Sooner in in a seven-game stretch, and his 15 touchdowns over the last seven games are 11 more than he had in the first 16 games of his career. We caught up with the Sooner standout pass receiver earlier this week at the Bob Stoops Press Conference. How about that tightrope job this week? And we talked about the catch in the postgame, but how did you stay in bounds? Uh, and it was just um, focus and being determined to score the touchdown. You know, uh, I knew as I was um, going along the sideline, I knew for a fact that I was in, and that's pretty much why I jumped up the way I did and looked at the ref with my arm straight up in the air as uh, signaling a touchdown because I knew for a fact that I was in. Almost like you sold that to him too, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but there was no doubt you were in. You know, we, we ask a lot. So it, it's like hard to ask and find different ways to put it. But what's really clicked for you, Didi? Because it seems like you and Baker are on another wavelength. You've been incredible over the last seven games. What's really helped propel that? Uh, the mentality, the mindset, uh, practice and preparation. You know, uh, in practice, I just tell Baker, you know, I'm going to be there for you regardless. So just find me and uh, I'm going to be your outlet and I'm going to make a play whenever you throw it to me. And so, so far, he's been holding up his end of the bargain. So I'm just trying to do my part. What's that confidence level right now like for you? Uh, it's pretty high at this point, but I feel as if I can get better and there's always room for improvement. All right, I know you're not an individual guy, but when you hear you're a semifinalist for the most prestigious award for wide receivers in college football, does that mean much to you? Uh, it means a lot. You know, uh, growing up, I've always wanted to be notarized, you know, and uh, one of my goals to start the year off was to be the best receiver in the country and to see I'm um, a step closer to where I want to be. You know, it's pretty exciting and all my hard work is paying off. Well, obviously, you've committed. You guys have talked a lot about practice. But what has Dennis Simmons meant to you in your development? Uh, he means a lot. You know, um, no disrespect to, like, anyone else, but I've never really had just a receiver coach, like, ever. You know, coming from high school, I went to a small high school. And so my my receiver coach pretty much played, like, D-line or something, you know, in um, high school. And then going over to junior college, my offensive coordinator was my receivers coach. He played quarterback, you know, and then coming here is my first actual receiver coach, and he's helped me a lot, especially with route running. Yeah, I was going to say from a technical perspective, that's got to be almost priceless, right? Yeah, pretty much. And I and I really enjoyed the interactions you guys have during the game because he doesn't let you guys get down at all. He's a very positive influence on the sideline, isn't he? Uh, yes, uh, and he talks to us through everything. You know, whenever we have a problem, we go to him, we talk to him about it, uh, and he's more than just a coach. You know, he's more so a mentor and uh, pretty much like a father figure or an older brother to some of us. I know it's kind of split between inside a receiver and outside a receiver, but how special was that for the receiving core in general when Nick Basquin got the scholarship last week? Oh, that was huge. You know, uh, seeing that guy going out there at the same time that we go out there and bust his tail and work just as hard as anyone else on the team, that's very deserving for him, and I'm and, proud of him. 
And we've seen other guys develop, like Geno Lewis. Obviously, Mark Andrews continues. Uh, moments for Jeffrey Meade had the big spin, the one-handed catch. The confidence level for you is high, but how good do you feel about the way the rest of the receiving core has developed? Uh, we're all coming around as a as a key unit, and we're we're pretty much going to be unstoppable here. You know, uh, everybody's getting their feet underneath them, and we're all making big uh, big key plays, and especially in third down situations. And so we're just looking really good as a unit. Final thought: You talk about it a lot, but practice what. What's kind of really kick-started this, and not like it ever hasn't been there, but it just seems like every time that we talk to either you or Jordan Evans or Baker, you guys talk about the commitment and practice. Has anything changed, or is it just where you guys hone your skills? Uh, it's just that we, we compete with one another day in and day out in, in practice, you know, and that's where everything starts. You know, the offense, we go out there and we compete with our defense, try to make those guys better, and they do just the same, you know, and uh, we, we just pretty much determined to, to get each other better, and then it's showing out on the games on Saturday. Third and goal in motion, DD, snap, handoff, P Ryan up the middle, veers right to the two, to the one, into the end zone, it's a touchdown! Samaje P Ryan! How effective would Samaje Pirine and Joe Mixon be if they didn't have bell cows on the offensive line like Orlando Brown Jr.? The Sooners bowed their necks on Saturday, put up big numbers, two 100-yard rushers, and the offensive line deserves a lot of the credit. We caught up with Orlando Brown Jr. earlier this week. Wow, what a job you guys did creating running lanes. How confident, how great were things rolling for you guys on Saturday? Uh, they're rolling pretty good, man. You know, uh, as far as us up front, you know, I think we played pretty pretty well consistently. You know, we did a pretty good job with the pocket. Uh, you know, it's a few game, few things here and there in the run game that, you know, we need to fix fix this week going into West V. That would be important, you know, obviously against West Virginia and Oklahoma State. So. What was that fine line like on Saturday between being aggressive and not being over-aggressive? Because you guys didn't hurt yourself on Saturday, but was it challenging at times? Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's always hard. You know, once your emotions get rolling to bottle them and control them, you know, as far as, you know, what we what we have to do up front, you know, moving guys from point A to point B. So, you know, man, I think we did a pretty good job with it up front, you know, maintaining ourselves. How much does it help you guys when you have that full complement of backs back there? You got Joe, you got Samaje back. How fun is that to block for those guys? Oh, it's, it's fun, man. You know, it's, it's really exciting for us up front to, you know, see these guys score those touchdowns, those long touchdowns, and, you know, get in the end zone and celebrate, you know, with each other. How much familiarity now do you have with blocking for Baker? Because it can be a challenge when you have a guy that moves around as much as he does. He's still incredibly mobile. But how familiar are you? How comfortable are you now with knowing what he's going to do? I'm very comfortable, man. You know, I, last year, you know, I think I think compared to last year, compared to this year, you know, Bake's been in the pocket a lot more. You know, obviously he's he'll he'll run to extend plays, but you know, last year I think it was just a ton of scrambling. You know, guys might have been open, and you know, he's just running around. But this year, you know, man, he's he's very poised in the pocket. You know, he's he's doing what he has to do to extend plays, and you know, when I do get beat, you know, when that does happen, you know, he'll make my guy miss. So yeah, I can't complain. How about this offensive line and how it's gelled? You've gone through some injuries, some adversity. Jonathan missed some time. Eric Wren steps up. You lose Cody Ford. You have guys like Ben Powers that have stepped up. It really seems like you guys have gelled. What's clicked? Uh, you know, just a bunch of guys that want to win. You know, a bunch of guys that are determined to, you know, go to the next level. And, you know, uh, a bunch of guys that want to play for Coach Biedembo and enjoy the scheme and, you know, playing here at the university. And, you know, man, we're brothers. You know, we all work hard together. You know, we're blood, sweat, and tears together. And, you know, that's just what it is. All right, let's talk real quick about Bill Biedenboe. Obviously a guy very passionate, very focused, but very good at his job. How much has he meant to you? Uh, a lot, man. You know, like I said before, you know, he's been like a father figure for me. And, you know, just the things he's taught me throughout life and, you know, what to do on the field and, you know, how much he's helped my game, you know, including with Jamal Brown and, you know, uh, how, how much how much he's, he's helped my game get there. You know, I, I couldn't thank him more. Hey, final quick thought. How do you feel about where this team is right now? 
Uh, you know, I think, man, we're playing really good ball right now, but, you know, the the ceiling is, is, you know, it's just up here, man, and we haven't touched it yet. So, you know, we still got a lot of work to do before, you know, I think we're national championship or, you know, ready for the bowl game. So there's some insight on the Sooners. What about West Virginia? This is a team that's battled some injuries as well, too. And we asked Mike Kazaza. He writes for the Charleston Daily Gazette, covers West Virginia every single game. Good beat writer. We asked Mike what we could expect in that West Virginia backfield. Oh, gosh. that That's probably the longest-running drama here. Actually, injuries in general are just kind of a drama here because they don't talk about it. Uh, everybody knows that Shell and Crawford have ankle injuries. Uh, they were described yesterday, excuse me, Tuesday, as uh, lower extremity below the waist injuries, <laughs> which is a pretty good target zone for Jordan Edmonds and company, right? You don't want to narrow it down to an ankle or let alone one foot. But uh, they, they travel with Shell, and he gave it a go. I think that even Russell knew he wasn't going to play, but uh, you probably game plan a little bit differently if you know you're going to hand it to a freshman 25 times, I think. But that freshman is pretty good, Kenny McCoy. Um, he, he wears number four. And he looks a whole lot like Wendell Smallwood, who led the Big 12 in rushing last season. So I think that's probably a pretty good deal. I don't know if Russell will go or if he'll be able to handle a whole lot. But, you know, Justin Crawford, the junior college player of the year last year, he had 129 yards against Kansas the week before. Kansas, I know, but I think he's healthy. I think he just didn't practice a ton because he wasn't fresh and they wanted to preserve him. And why get a guy hurt when you only have one running back? But he fumbled, and Dana Olgerson is really – particular about those things where you know possession is very important and if you don't practice maybe that's why you fumble and I don't think he was going to let Crawford handle a whole bunch I'd be surprised if Crawford didn't handle it a lot more but I think it's going to be him and McCoy we're hanging out with Mike Kazaza covers West Virginia uh very in-depth for the West Virginia Gazette Charleston Gazette Mail excuse me Mike Mm -hmm. then let's look at the injuries on the other side uh, because obviously you mentioned running back you're down to maybe your your third string guy, but is and watch is Wakachu. I can't even say his name right. Is he going to be ready to go on Saturday? You think? I know that. Did he even end up playing against Texas on Saturday, or did he just stay on the sidelines? Didn't take a snap. So mm. West Virginia went to Texas, which win or lose has one of the most talented rosters in the country, right? Mm-hmm. And played with one running back, a quarterback who threw three interceptions, uh, four defensive linemen, two who are freshmen, basically one healthy cornerback, and still wow. won that game, which. Pretty remarkable. So they're they're doing a good job on coaching and whatever depth they have. Wachuku is their probably their most important defensive player. I think Russell Russell Douglas is their best, and honestly, maybe as good as anybody in the Big Twelve when you look at value this year. But Wachuku does a number of things. Their three three five requires those front guys to be unselfish, and if you can widen out or if you can take on a double team, which you're going to have to do to him because he's a handful. Um, you're going to have safeties and linebackers screaming through the, the defensive line gaps. So if you see Justin Art, who's number 30, or if you see David Long, who's number 11, or if you see Kaiser White, who's number 8, slashing through a gap, that's because the defensive end has done his job. Noble's really, really good at that. He can get sacks in TFL as his numbers are way down, but that's because he's getting so much attention. Uh, and you're, like I said, you got to put four hands and two helmets on him sometimes because he can get back there. I think he'll play. I think he was close. He tried to rev it up Saturday, and it didn't work. But you know, he did travel. He had his pads with him and everything. He was actually on the field in his jersey and his pants with his gloves on. That's how, I think, close he was to playing. But you know, they said he couldn't pull the trigger. And hmm. I think they were willing to go in with four guys and see what could happen. I'm not sure they can do that every game, but they were crazy enough to make it work once. 
There's this misconception, I think, Mike, that guys like Holgerson and Lincoln Riley and others are just pass-first, pass-happy guys. And to me, I, I don't think it could be further from the truth, specifically in what West Virginia does. Uh, but have you noticed over the last couple of years, and you know, Dana talked about it post-game last year against Oklahoma, that maybe he went away from the run a little bit too quick. Not like he panicked, but just tried to throw the ball too much. Has he adjusted his play calling to where maybe he stays committed to the run longer, or has this just always been the case? He's getting there, there have been games where he's got more yards per carry than yards per attempt, win wow. or lose, which is bad. But that's that's kind of what they do. Sometimes it's good. I mean, they've, they've had games that have averaged like seven yards a carry in the past, so that's good. That works. Um, I also think that he knows what he has. Um, quarterback recruiting has not gone very well here. People want to hold that over Holderson's head. If you go toward his legacy of quarterbacks, he did not recruit Geno Smith. He did not recruit Brandon Wheat. He did not recruit Case Keenum. Um, I'm not sure how many guys at Texas Tech he recruited. He developed, I'm sure, but um, it's hard. It's really hard, especially when you're a new head coach. And, you know, I think at some of those schools, you might not have expected Case Keenum to be the guy. You might not have expected Brandon Wheat and the former minor league baseball player to be the guy. So <laughs> some coaching that comes into it, I'm not sure how we're – important recruiting is I think you need to be in this system a bunch and just take thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. So maybe you know, maybe that's why Baker Mayfield is so good, is that it was good over time, and he kind of transitioned from one offense to the other. They were pretty similar. Um, certainly he's talented. He's more talented than anybody Dana's had here. Uh, he's working with what he has. A lot of their wins, Saturdays in particular, seem to come maybe in spite of Skylar Howard more than because of Skylar Howard, but it hasn't been the thing that broke them down. Um, he threw three interceptions against Oklahoma last year. They had no chance to win that game. Um, he threw three interceptions at Texas Saturday. They went to Plan B, and Plan B is pretty good. In fact, Plan B is probably Plan A right now. If you hand the ball to your running backs, you have a pretty nasty offensive line. You're going to be productive, and you're going to get first downs. You're going to stay on the field. Um, I think you'll see a change. He's got Will Greer waiting. Um, he'll be the starting quarterback for the first game next year. Will Greer was the starter at Florida for six games last year. He's probably the best high school or college recruit they've ever had here. Um, I don't think he's going to keep that in the holster next year, and that may further prove Dana's flexibility or even just his ability as a coach because I think you'll see him put on some familiar clothes next year. But right now, he's just kind of doing what it takes to win, and it took him you know, probably a year to figure out what to do. They were, they were not this good last year, but they weren't that far. It just took some changes. Mike, what do we got to expect weather-wise? I see snow in the forecast. I see 30 to 50 degrees. What What are you packing for Saturday night? How should we prepare if we're going to be down there in the elements? My uh, my pea coat is at the dry cleaner right now, <laughs> which I did not expect because it was 70s and I was wearing a windbreaker Monday. So uh, that's kind of the weather in the mountains. Sometimes things spin around, they get stuck, and they linger, and you have a cloud over your head, and then suddenly sleet and snow is falling out of it. So... I bring some gloves if you're on the side, my man, maybe something rubber that the water will fall off of. But I would expect some sort of precipitation and certainly a chill in the air. And, and I got I to gotta ask about Wickline and what that combination has been like. I know that, that what Ron Crook runs the offensive line, but uh, Joe Wickline has obviously a history with Dana from being together in 2010. Have you noticed his stamp? Have you noticed a difference with Joe Wickline being there this season at all, Mike? Yeah, their pass protection is a lot better, and that's because their tackles are different. They've um they've moved their tackles around a bunch this year. They lost. Johnny Kajust was their starting left tackle. He played about 10 plays in the first game of the season. Three of them he played with the torn ACL, so uh, that didn't work out very well. They've had to put a redshirt freshman in. 
and a junior who's a good player but is not nearly as good as the other two. Uh, last game, they moved their left guard out to left tackle because Texas, excuse me, their left tackle to left guard because Texas was just running through the middle and stopping their runs. So they've had to be creative with it, and that's because Joe and, and Ron Crook have been able to mix things up a little bit, work in concert, um, something to keep an eye on, too. Their fullbacks and tight ends are, are sneaky good, and that's actually what Joe coaches. Uh, they have a tight end number 81, Trayvon Wesco, who hasn't caught a pass this year, um, hasn't really done anything. He's only been eligible or healthy for about four or five games now but it's coming along, and he's going to become a passing game weapon, but he's also like a third tackle on the line for them. He's a big kid, like 265. And you see them getting eye formation and single back sets with like 11 personnel, and you're thinking, what am I watching? This is not what I'm used to. Um, And that's kind of because Joe and Dana know each other and said, hey, this can work. And they speak the same language, so it comes together pretty quickly. So there you have it, a complete preview of OU West Virginia. We'll be on the air with a 5 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock Central Time kick for Oklahoma and West Virginia. Again, don't like to think this way, but if the Sooners win and Oklahoma State loses, then Oklahoma will have clinched yet another Big 12 championship. I wanted to wrap up with a little history here today and kind of go away from the gridiron for just a bit. Uh, Depending on when you're consuming this, soccer has made a major run in 2016. As we tape this, Oklahoma is preparing to take on BYU, and we had a chance to catch up with standout Sooner head coach Matt Potter as he prepares to hopefully send his team on in the NCAA tournament. Well, I think the night, you know, was was really a night for everybody that's ever been involved in our program since we've been here, you know whether it would be Graham and Casey that got it started or, or Andy who came after Graham and, and now Brandy and Alexi, they're, they're just um, picking up with others have left off. We, we talk about not replacing people. We talk about the opportunity to, to move forward from where, where we are. So um, it, it's been an exciting time for them, obviously, and we've tried to keep them as grounded as many as, as anybody else. So, but it's uh, been a lot of fun for sure, but it's an exciting time to be at. You know, I, I know this is uh, – this this obviously fits with every single player, but I had a chance on Spotlight yesterday to see Jess's interview with you, Coach, and him, Akota, and in, in having the honor to call some of your soccer matches the last couple of years, Hima has always stood out to me as someone that – I don't know, just from my perspective is calling the games, it seems like when you call upon her, she's willing to do anything necessary. Is that kind of typical of just about every player on this roster? Not just Hima, but this is a team that when you call upon them, if it's to get back on D, if it's to basically attack, that they can be versatile and do whatever you need? Without a doubt. Hima represents all that is good about our program. You know, she's uh, committed to the cause, whether it be on or off the field, but but ultimately, you know, she does a lot of industry for other people, and, and that speaks to the whole team. They're, they're willing to work for each other. They have a great bond that I think, you know, sometimes gets overused as statements by coaches. But this team is definitely living that. We've lived the adversity of injuries, um, really not used that as an excuse because we've believed in the players that have come in and the t- their teammates have believed in them. And then most importantly, those that, that have had a change in terms of not being able to play. They've embraced a different role, and we talk often about you know you can you can be def- you can have a role defined for you, but if you see the limitations of it, that's on you. And so everybody's been ready to play. Those that are in 
a new seat now because of injuries or playing a, a very important part of of coaching their teammates. So it's just a very, it's just one of those unique fun groups to be around. Matt Potter joins us. You know, the thing that always wows me is how this team was able to overcome so much adversity early in the season. Obviously, there were some injuries to key players, leaders like Karin Nelson. But what also stood out, Coach, is how they would overcome adversity on the on the pitch whenever they would fall behind. I mean, there were three or four games where you would fall behind early and still rally to kind of get that W. It was almost as if this no-quit attitude had been forged very early for this team in uh, 2016. Well, I think they they were they were galvanized by not making it the year before, and so the work that they put in between, you know, November 2015 to November 2016, that hard work and that suffering, if you like, that that grind of you know not allowing it to happen and, and working together and sweating together, that toil is is galvanized them and hardened them, if you like, as a group. That they don't know when they're done. They they have this attitude in games that you know we understand with the schedule that we put together we're going to play great teams and sometimes you go up a goal, sometimes you go down, and the game's still going to last 19 minutes. And those are just moments within a game. And what I've really enjoyed about this group is that kind of emotional stability to to keep moving forward, which is which is a great quality to have not only in soccer but in life too. They they just keep moving forward. Matt Potter, head women's soccer coach, getting set for BYU. Real quick, is there an advantage for you at all having played on that field earlier this year? Does it feel like it gives this team any more comfort or familiarity? Um, well, well, anytime you can go back to an environment and you have familiar, familiarity with it, that's a good thing, obviously. Um, but I'm not so sure it will be the case come come Thursday. You know, we play, obviously, a very talented BYU team, and we look forward to the challenge that they present with with some special players that they have. But you know, we're we're all about us. We have some special players too, and we have a group that believes. And it's going to be a great exhibition for our sport. You know, it's two competitive teams. I think the whole bracket has four ranked teams in it, so it's an exciting time. And I'm really looking forward to the challenge of the game as a coach. I have a lot of respect for for Jen and what she's done at BYU for many, many, many years and her staff. So. It's going to be a fun night for all. Coach, real quick, I got one more quick one. Everyone talks about the goalkeeper, and understandably so. Cassidy's been spectacular this year. But how about the defense around here and how they've helped really protect her? I think your defense has been phenomenal. Well, Cassidy's had an incredible senior year, which has just rubber-stamped the career that she's had. You know, she's record-setting for many reasons, and a lot of them are down to her and what she's done. But I think Overall, she'd be the first to highlight those in front of her. And, you know, we, we don't have defenders and attackers. We have team defending and we have team attacking. And the defending that, you know, Liz Keisters of the world and our forwards do sets the premise for, for our whole team. And Cassidy's the last 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 resort, if you like, last person standing. So it, it is a total team effort, and that's that's how we operate. And... Cassidy, though, is, uh, she's for sure played her part, and I'm really proud of her, excited for her to have that senior year that you hope every senior has. 
All right, so there you have it, the Sooner Sports Podcast. We call this the tailgate. Again, a very busy weekend from volleyball, wrestling, women's basketball, men's basketball, and, of course, hopefully soccer continuing its run in the NCAA tournament. And then the big one, Saturday night, Oklahoma and West Virginia. Everyone have a great week. Don't forget to subscribe at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. It would help us out immensely if you would leave a rating or comment on iTunes. And don't forget to be looking for the Monday morning refresher. Everything that we previewed will recap come Monday morning before the sun, uh, before the sun comes up. Have a great weekend, everybody. And until Monday morning, Boomer Sooner. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air.